Welcome. I'm Richard Prosh, and this is another edition of Six Gun Justice Conversations. These are occasional bonus downloads where my co-host, Paul Bishop, or I get to hang out around the virtual Six Gun Justice campfire and spend some time talking with friends who work in the Western genre. With me for this edition is award-winning Western historical fiction author W. Michael Farmer. A retired Ph.D. physicist with numerous credentials to his name, he's also written short stories, award-winning essays, and novels. His first novel, Ambrosito's War, won a Western Writers of America Spur Finalist Award for Best First Fiction in 2006 and was a New Mexico Book Award finalist for historical fiction in 2007. His novels have continued to garner praise and awards, and he's currently busy with a body of work that includes two histories and two novels about the captivity and wars of Geronimo. In October of this year, three of his books, Geronimo's Prisoner of Lies, The Last Warrior, and Blood-Soaked Earth, are finalists in the 2020 Mexico-Arizona Book Awards. I'm glad our schedules worked out so we could spend some time together. Howdy, Michael. Howdy, Richard. How are you? We're doing fine here today. Let's start out with Geronimo. What can you tell us about the body of work that you're engaged in right now? Originally, I wanted to write a novel that puts some meat and sinew on the story of Geronimo's 23-year captivity as a prisoner of war called The Odyssey of Geronimo because it really was a very long journey for him, which is in the history books, but not very well known by the general public. After I finished the Odyssey, I got to looking at the parallels between the Odyssey and the Greek story and the epic story that is truly a unique American story about the Apache Wars, and in particular, what happened to Geronimo, and found that parallels were really quite remarkable. And I've since written a novel about the last 10 years of Geronimo's life before he surrendered to General Miles. I've just finished a third novel, so I guess I've wound up with a Geronimo trilogy about Geronimo's captivity of a 12-year-old girl named Trini Burden, or Trinidad Burden how she managed to survive with the Geronimo Naichi band as they roamed Western Sonora a few months before they before they surrendered, and she actually escaped from it. And I, I found that very uh, interesting piece. And so I've actually inadvertently created a trilogy about Geronimo from 10 years before he surrendered until he died. That's really fascinating. Can you briefly summarize the parallels between Geronimo and Odysseus? Because I'm really taken with that idea that you saw parallels with the Odysseys. The Geronimo Wars really started in 1876 when John Plum went to Cochise's reservation and talked his sons into moving the people off of that reservation to a very miserable place at San Carlos. Geronimo and his brother-in-law, a great war chief, lived on part of that reservation, and they lived peaceably with the white at the time, but it allowed them to go down into Mexico without being stopped with the U.S. troops. So the only time that Geronimo was ever captured was about a year later when a cavalry officer saw him at Victoria Ojo Caliente Reservation upset because he hadn't gotten any rations that week because he had been off the reservation stealing horses. And long story short, John Plum managed to trick and capture him and put him in the guardhouse for about three months. Plum intended that the Tucson sheriff come and get Geronimo, take him to court and hang him. 
And he told him that. So Geronimo sat in the guardhouse for uh, three months, basically praying to uh, great God Usen. And miraculously, he got out of it. Plum quit. The sheriff never came. The new agent let him out. And so within a year, things had gotten so bad that he broke out. So there's a 10-year span where there's almost continual war. There were like six years when Geronimo was actually off of the reservation, which is about the same length of time as Trojan War. The Apaches believed that they had an impregnable fortress in the Sierra Madre Mountains. If they could get into the Sierra Madre Mountains, the United States could not get to them. At least that's what they believed. They had some big-time heroes. Geronimo was parallel to Ulysses because he was a real trickster in a lot of things. You find the Trojan War ending, for example, because the Greeks fooled the Trojans into believing that they had left and gone away. General Miles told a long series of lies about what would happen to the Geronimo Naichi band if they surrendered, and there was deception in their surrender. As you read through those 10 years, and it's been documented, there's a lot of back and forth in terms of great battles and heroes on both sides. The United States certainly had its share, if not more than its share, defeat the Apaches, although I really don't consider them defeated as much as they were just kind and taken prisoner. You can see that the length of time that the war lasted, the heroes that were there, the personalities matched a lot of the warriors, and there was a trick at the end get Geronimo and Aichi to surrender. That's fascinating. Do you feel like you've come to know Geronimo with as much research as you've done and reading? Do you feel you've come to know him as a real person rather than just this kind of historic figure? Oh, yeah, very much. And that was the major reason I decided to uh, try to write the stories, because I could empathize with him in a lot of what he did. But I could also realize that he was basically a hard-eyed killer. He was at war with you, and you were not on his side. He was going to kill you. I really felt like I learned more about Geronimo when I wrote this last story about Trinidad for den capture because she wound up witnessing a lot of battles that he and Naichi had with Mexican troops. Use my imagination on some large blank spaces in the story to illustrate the strategic and tactical capabilities and mind that he had. And so I really felt like I wound up learning more about him, writing about him from a 12-year-old girl's point of view than the other two, which were really told from his point of view. If you could spend an hour with Geronimo, what would you ask him? That's a a very good question. I guess I would want to know, most of all, he dictated his autobiography to a man named S.M. Barrett. And the story behind the biography itself is fascinating. But after it got approved by the Army and came out, Dak Lugie, who was Geronimo's nephew and had been the translator for him when he talked to Barrett, told Eve Ball, who wrote the great oral history in day, that the autobiography was full of errors. She wanted to know what they were, and he wouldn't say And so I'd really like to know uh, what it was that Geronimo held back. 
I know in principle that he wasn't going to tell tales out of school about what was going on, although some of his old war buds believed that he did, and they got very angry about it. And I'd really like to know also uh, how many times he was married. I can only count 10 marriages and 14 children, but every once in a while I run across a new name supposed to be his wife. In the Trinidad Redan story, for example, when she managed to get away from him when the Mexican militia attacked, there were only two women with him and two other warriors. One of the women decided to shoot it out with the Mexicans, and they in turn just blew her away while Geronimo got away. And they called her his wife. I know that's not so because the wife that was with him and is the only one known to have been with him at the time got away. There's a lot of uncertainty about how many times he was actually married. You may be aware that there's a major dispute going on between the Apaches or people that claim to have been blood relatives of him that live in Mexico, the the Mescalero Chiricahuas, about who was actually in the bloodline for him. I'd probably need more than an hour to find out what I was concerned about. Have you always had an interest in Southwest history? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Tennessee, and just about everybody in my generation, I grew up on Western movies. But I can distinctly remember in fourth grade reading a history about the Indians and just feeling outraged that they had been treated the way they were. After I got far enough along in my education where I was actually trying to learn a trade, that kind of went away. But I always had a great love for uh, the West. I had an opportunity when I was a professor at the University of Tennessee Space Institute to go to New Mexico and do some research. And I jumped at the chance. And when you get to New Mexico from the east, you're either going to love it or you hate it. And I loved it. I thought it was soul filling. I agree. I grew up in northeast Nebraska. So when I went west, I fell in love with it. Michael Zimmer and I talked about the difference between a traditional Western and a historical Western. Did you make that decision consciously, or was that just something that from the very beginning when you started to write fiction, you aimed more for historicals? I really aimed at the historical side of it because, as somebody has said, you can't make this stuff up. And I found that it was a lot easier for me to read and understand the history of a particular event if it was told where the personalities were live and had their complexities and that kind of thing. The thing that got me writing was the story about the Fountain Mothers. I really hadn't intended to write anything commercial for it. It was more for my own benefit, try to get some idea about who might actually have committed the murders. I discovered that I really enjoyed the writing and the research that went into it. And I have since learned through these novels and a couple of pieces of nonfiction that I've done that there are some really great stories there. And people, I think, need to hear the stories in order to really understand what been going on. You've got a slew of short stories available for free on your website at wmichaelfarmer.com, including uh, The Nail Dream and Spider's Good Luck, which are examples, to me at least, of a kind of a contemporary Western fiction. You enjoy writing short stories as a break from the historical novels? I do, but short stories are really hard to do. Good one is hard to do, and I'm not very good at it. I guess when it comes to writing, I consider myself much more a long-distance runner. 
I would someday love to be able to write a good short story, but I know I'll just never get there. But I do like to write the short pieces in order to sharpen my techniques for the longer novels. That's a good take, yeah, to sharpen your techniques. So both of us are members of the Western Writers of America, the WWA. You have been a member for quite a while. Can you just share with us some of your thoughts about the organization and and your history with the organization, friends you've made, that sort of thing? Well, sure. I became a member because I had written Homer Cito's War, and I was really curious about how good it might be, and so I submitted it for a spur, and it actually wound up being a finalist, as you mentioned in the intro. That was in 2006. I, to this day, can recall uh, how excited I was realized that right out of the gate, I was going to be recognized for my work. Then there was a long dry spell. I thought next year with this next piece I'm working on, I'll have a spur. No, it doesn't work that way at all. And I've gotten a lot out of WWA because of the people that I've come to know, uh, writing techniques and stories that we shared. It's just been an invaluable association as far as I'm concerned. It really uh, waters the garden, uh, if you will. I really agree. Michael, I need to wrap up our conversation, so I'll do so by again pointing folks to your website at www.wmichaelfarmer.com, where they can learn more about your work. And thanks for being a part of the Six Gun Justice podcast today. Oh, it's really been my pleasure, and thanks for having me. I'm very honored to be on. Thanks to Michael for hanging out and chatting with me today. And thanks to you for listening. Paul and I appreciate your support of our Six Gun Justice podcast and hope you continue to enjoy each and every episode. As always, a hearty thank you to our sponsors, Wolfpack Publishing, author Chris Enns, and the Western Writers of America for making this podcast possible. Be sure to check our website, www.sixgunjustice.com, for links to previous podcast episodes, speed listens, and prior conversations, along with reviews, interviews, and articles from the Western genre. Till next time, keep the sun at your back and a good horse at hand. Let's ride.